You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Um, we are in our third week, as Bob said, of our series in Genesis, nine weeks in Genesis. Uh, the first week of Genesis, we looked simply at the overarching view. Um, what is the kind of arc of Genesis that we run into, and how is it played out in the first 11 chapters? So if you weren't with us, what we experienced in the first 11 chapters of Genesis was this cycle that looks like God has this great idea to bless us, then mankind messes it up, but God comes up on the backside and promises to fix it. Happened with Adam, happened with Adam and Eve, it happened with uh, Noah, it happened, well just go down through the Bible until now, and it just happens over and over and over again that God has this great promise to make this world wonderful for his creation. Mankind likes to do his own thing and go contrary to the word of God, and God says, I promise I will fix this. So he makes a promise to Adam at the very beginning of time. He says, one day, one of your descendants will fix all of the problems that exist in the world. And now we're kind of tracking that promise as it goes down through time. We looked at Abraham last week, how he experienced this in his own life, the fact that he was called to follow God, had this great blessing to be a father of many nations. But then he sinned in the fact that um, uh, he tried to um, create his own legacy. He had a baby with his wife's servant, okay? Not exactly God's plan. And when he tried to take control of his own life, it just caused a whole load of problems. But God came in on the backside of that and said, I promise that I will fix this. I still love you. You haven't and you can't mess up bad enough to make me stop loving you. And he entered into a really awesome covenant with Abraham that involved circumcision. And we might not think that's awesome, but it was really great for God's people. God chose Abraham of all of the people on earth to work through that family to bring about the blessing that he promised to Adam and Eve. Now, we're gonna look at the second half of Abraham's life today. Um, and uh, the first thing that we really need to recognize is that God promised Abraham would become the father of nations, right? Which seems crazy. If someone walks up to you and goes, you're gonna be the father of nations. Gentry, how's that feel? Is that a little intimidating? Like there's a lot on your shoulders there, right? Like how does that happen? That's not possible on my own, right? Abraham experienced this kind of idea when God says, look at the stars, count them all, if you can. That's how many your descendants will be, more than the stars in the sky, more than the grains of sand on the ground. You're gonna have so many people in your family line, you can't count it. And then time passes, right? And you have this great promise from God who says, you're gonna be a great nation leader. You're gonna have so many people and you're like, 99 years old and your wife is, I don't do math really well, uh, 80 something, early 80s, somewhere in there maybe. And, and, and you're wondering, uh, how's this gonna work, okay? And, uh, and so God in, in chapter 18, verse 10 says, I promise you will have a son when you are 99 years old. Okay? I'm sorry, 100, he promised that when Abraham was 99 years old. God came to Abraham and said, you're 99, wait one year, and then you'll have a son. That's a promise. 
And then in, <clears throat> in the heels of that, God invites Abraham into a fatherly thing. Because before Abraham has Isaac, before he can be a father of even one child, let alone nations, there's this side story where God starts to develop Abraham's heart for the nations. Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys familiar with this little sidestep in uh, Abraham's life? Um, Lot is Abraham's relative, is living in the region of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God promises Isaac and then says on the heels of that, should I let Abraham know what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? And then Abraham comes along and stands on the hillside with God and talks with God. And God says, listen, this is a sinful area of the world. I'm going to wipe them out. And gives Abraham an opportunity to experience what it means to be a father of nations. This was a people group that wasn't Abraham's. This is a people group that didn't worship Yahweh. This is a people group that, well, really, it was the wrong side of town. Okay. And there's... You wouldn't want to go hang out there. Abraham really kept his distance from those people, but he did have relatives there. But Abraham said, are you going to do away with this town? A whole thing? Far be it from you, a just God, to wipe out an entire population if there's righteous people there. You're going to wipe out the righteous with the unrighteous? He's calling upon God's sense of mercy and justice. Now, this is something God hasn't lost. This is something God wants Abraham to enter into the process with, to develop what it means to be a father and a heart of nations and to see something from God's point of view. And so God and Abraham go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And God kind of ends the conversation at, if there's 10 righteous people, then I won't kill the city. Now, we kind of get the idea that there weren't 10 righteous people because... Um, the city was destroyed, but Lot and his family were saved, except for his wife, who sinned in the process. Then uh, in chapter 20, um, if you're following along, we're just doing a brief overview. We'll get to 22 and settle there in a second. In chapter 20, verses 1 through 11, um, we've got Isaac has been promised. We've got um, Sodom and Gomorrah have been destroyed. And now um, we've got Abraham, who's really just kind of waiting for this promise to unfold, this blessing to unfold. Um, and he runs into this, uh, they're traveling, and he runs into a nation, Abimelech's nation, he's a king, and he tells his wife, when the king asks you who you are, say you're my sister because I don't want them to kill me or you because they want you. So just go ahead and say, you're my sister. Now, this is like the second time Abraham has given his wife away. Um, and this will happen in generations to follow. He's not setting a great example for his child here. But um, uh, he gives his wife away to Abimelech. And, and, and because of the providence of God, you read in this story, God does not let Abimelech and Sarah consummate the marriage. So there is this moment where Abimelech has a dream and, and God says... Y'all, this is another man's wife. Hands off and go talk to this guy. And if you give her back to him, it will go well with you. So in the process of Abraham sinning and giving his wife away to negotiate his own freedom and security, God is working to restore the heart of another nation to him. This nation begins to understand who Yahweh is. But there's a problem when, when Abraham, who's supposed to be walking with the promises of God, decides... I am going to negotiate my own safety. Remember the blessing that God made Abraham? I will bless you and make you a great nation. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. 
Whoever curses you, I will curse. There is no reason for Abraham to fear any nation because God is his strong right arm. And yet in the flesh, yet again, Abraham tries to negotiate his own course to the end result of God's blessing. First, it was making a baby with Hagar, Sarah's servant. Now it's trying to give away his wife to protect his safety. That's, that's kind of low, right? So we have this struggle. Then we get to the point where Isaac was born. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Isaac was born. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And this is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, right? He's so excited because he's so old and they never thought they'd have a baby. Him and Sarah together and they've waited and they've prayed and they've longed for. And it's been 25 years since God has called them to leave their land and wander and find a place that God promises. 25 years they've wanted this child that God has promised them. They finally have Isaac. It is a glorious moment for the family of uh, Abraham. He becomes a father of a boy. Now I want to read to you this, this passage in, in chapter 22. Uh, it, it'll be on the screen for you. It's verses 1 through 14 if you're following along in the paper Bible. Um, this is the story of Abraham and his only beloved son, Isaac. Now Isaac is a little bit older. He's probably uh, somewhere between 6 and 12. We kind of iffy on the dates, but he's somewhere this, okay? Um, old enough to walk, old enough to kind of have a concept of what's going on in the world. He's not an infant. Um, time has passed, right? And, 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 and Abraham has grown to love his only beloved son so much, right? And this is where we pick up in the story. Yet again, God speaks to Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham. And said to him, and this is how all conversations seem to start between God and Abraham. Abraham! Parents, you know the voice I'm talking about? Yeah. Abraham! And Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. He's just laying it on thick. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Again, God is calling Abraham to go somewhere that is slightly unknown, right, to a land, I'll tell you when you get there, right, and do something that is unheard of. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young servants with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son, echoing the way God and Abraham speak. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so the both of them went together. 
When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took out the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And the duplicate is an emphasis. It's an urgent emphasis in the original language. And Abraham said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is a troubling story, right? Because Yahweh worshipers, God worshipers, Christian people, right? If we continue that down through the new, we don't, we don't sacrifice children. Right? That's not that's not part of our God's system. We don't do that. Pagan deities you sacrifice children to. There are all kinds of children's sacrifices in the pagan world. Remember, Abraham was called out of the land of Ur. He was called out of the pagan worship, where they worshiped in all kinds of deviant ways. And it seems like God is saying, are you going to go back to your old ways? I imagine Abraham's mind is going, what is happening here? I don't understand what is happening here. You get the emphasis in the scriptures? Take your only son, the son you love. He laid his only son on the altar. He bound the son he loves. This is, this is like you can sense the emotional struggle going on in this passage. Will Abraham trust God in this moment? This is the question. The question that Abraham has struggled with for all of his years. Will he negotiate his own freedom? Will he find his own way around this? Will he bargain with God? Or will he completely trust God and lay everything at God's feet? Will he walk up the mountain? Will he sacrifice what is being asked in worship? This is a really challenging passage for Abraham. And I want to submit something to you uh, this morning. Uh, we're troubled when we see God say, kill your son. It troubles us. It, it doesn't trouble us in the same way as when we see God sacrifice his own son. We feel more concerned, I think, when we see God tell Abraham to sacrifice his son than we feel emotional about God sacrificing his own son. Does that make sense? Because it's easier to put ourselves in the place of Abraham than it is to put ourselves in the place of God dying for the whole world. In some ways, we kind of disconnect from that a little bit. And so we always think about the son. But I don't think, I don't think it's about sacrificing the son. I don't think that's what God was saying to Abraham. I think God was looking at Abraham's heart and saying, I brought you on this 25-year journey. I've been refining you to look more like me, to bring you back to that ideal identity of humankind reflecting God's nature into the world that existed before the fall. And, and you have struggled um, 
Abraham with this idea of you've received the blessing, but you struggle to walk in it. You, you hear what I want from you and you walk a little bit in it, but then when things get tough, you try and negotiate your way out of it. You, you still want control over how things turn out. And so we walk for a while together and I have the reins, but when it suits you and your comfort, you grab the reins back from me and you do things your own way. I think this is less about the son and more about the control. God was never, never about sacrificing children. God was about sacrificing our will for his. This was the idea of will Abraham completely surrender everything that he holds dear. And there was nothing he held dear more than his son. It was the only thing he held back. Will he lay on the altar the one thing that seems to be the future? The one thing that he loves more than anything else in the whole world. Will he surrender it? All. I mean, we sing the song, All to Jesus I Surrender, right? I think of Abraham now when I think of that song. Because he held nothing back. It's the idea that this is sacrificing control over to God. He was laying his control on the altar and letting God handle whatever happens next. It was completely in the hands of God, not Abraham. And Abraham was going to do whatever God asked even if it was really difficult because it was God's will, not Abraham's will in that moment. Now I imagine, well, this passage tells us a lot about Jesus. There's a lot in this passage we can dissect and, and, and it points right to Jesus and the cross. And I wonder maybe if Abraham had a not my will but yours conversation with God that we aren't privy to. I wonder if while they were walking up the mountain and he looked at his son carrying the wood that he was wondering, how is this going to play out? This is a direct picture of what Jesus did for us. He walked up the mount, Golgotha, carried the wood on his back. They built the altar. They sacrificed the son. Only in that context, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect obedience to be fulfilled where ours can't be fulfilled. When we cycle through, I hear the blessing, but I sin, and I'm really glad comes in on the, God comes in on the backside. That was Jesus. The blessing of obedience is something that we get to experience when we fully surrender ourselves to God. Abraham experienced the, can you even... Parents, just for a moment, go there if you can. Your son is on the altar. Your daughter is on the altar. The only child whom you love. You've prayed for for 25 years. The knife is in your hand, right? It is raised. You are committed. This is what is going to happen. But God stops you. And you look and you see the sacrifice of the ram. How do you feel in that moment? Right? There is this, there is no word for the kind of relief and excitement and joy to fully experience the blessing in that moment of God providing for you. You have just escaped something and experienced something so wonderful in its place. There was a salvation in that moment that was both for the boy and his father. 
a whole new idea of what it means to walk with God, that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do, and God provided on the mount. That's why in Jewish culture, even probably still to this day, the proverb is, on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. The blessing of obedience. When we completely submit ourselves and our hopes and our fears to the Lord, we can truly experience the fullness of of his blessings. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son. Do you see the willingness Abraham had to follow God wherever? I will surely bless you. God comes in on the backside and he promises this immense blessing all over again. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. No one will overcome your children. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Obedience and blessing go hand in hand in the life of a God follower. We want the blessing, uh, but we don't always necessarily want to be fully obedient. We like to do it when it suits us, but when it gets hard, we'd rather have a baby with Hagar, right? Or we'd rather give our wife away or whatever else we do to negotiate our own situation. But we're not often really willing to lay every, everything down. Roman soldiers, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but the old adage goes like this, that Roman soldiers would get baptized in their faith as a Christian, but they worked for Rome. And stories tell that they would go in the water, they would get baptized with their sword hand above their head with the sword in it. Everything would go under the water, but the sword. That belonged to Rome. This belonged to Jesus. And that's not obedience. That's not full submission. That's not full surrender. We are to fully give up everything that we hope, dream, and worry about and everything and lay it at Jesus and allow him to let us experience the beyond blessings, the greater preferred future for our life that we can't even dream about. But God is like, if you only knew what I had in store for you. If you only knew the future that is on the horizon for you, the blessings of obedience. But the struggle is real, right? The struggle is real, and we struggle to be obedient. We struggle to give up control. Um, and like Abraham, we cycle through the trust and the doing it ourselves and the experiencing God on the backside. And this is exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came to end that cycle in our lives. I want to read to you um, Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh, i.e. when Jesus was walking around like just us, he was on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. This is a picture of Jesus being obedient, struggling in that, right? He is really like, if, if there is any other way, this is Garden of Gethsemane reference, if there is any other way, Lord, I really don't want to die, I don't want to, but I will submit myself to your will 
You can save me from death, but your will is more important. And though he was a son, an only son, a beloved son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Here's the picture. Um, Jesus struggled in the garden with this. But he walked up the mountain, Golgotha, carrying the wood on his back. And he died in our place on the cross for our sins. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He was the lamb that was provided on the Mount of the Lord. All of that Abraham story and the, say, the phrase, on the Mount of the Lord it will be provided, was to point us right to Golgotha, to look right at the cross, to see Jesus high and lifted up, suffering in our place for our sins, where we get to now look and say, on the Mount of the Lord it was provided. Jesus died and I didn't. His perfect obedience becomes my righteousness. God looks at me and sees what Jesus did. I can walk in holiness. The cycle has been ended. Death no longer has a hold on me. The cycle I don't have to live in anymore because God freed me from it. Because on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. But the question remains. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him and then we become like Abraham again and we have to go what is it that I am not obeying God in what is it that I'm holding above the baptismal waters what is it that if he asked me to I wouldn't march up the mountain and lay on the altar what is that what is that control that I have that I am unwilling to let go of what fear do I have that keeps me from fully surrendering to the blessing of God? Because we all hold back in a little way. We're all scared to give 100%. But scripture shows us over and over and over again that if you give yourself 100%, God never fails you. He goes before you and prepares the way. And he will always be a God who keeps his promise. The, the beauty of this passage, and, and I like, we read it earlier, that Abraham told his servants, stay here. The boy and I will go to the mountain and worship and come again to you. And I've struggled with that passage for a long time because I think, is he lying? Like, he's going up there to kill his boy. So is he lying? Or does he truly, in this moment, having fully surrendered himself to God, trust that God's promise is that his future is through Isaac, and even if he kills Isaac, Isaac will be restored. I think there's a hint of resurrection faith in Abraham here. I think that's why we read in the Hall of Faith and in Hebrews chapter 11 that it says it was counted to Abraham as righteousness, the fact that he had faith enough to sacrifice his son. God would bring him back to life. That was just what God would do. God was a God who does that. But we must <coughs> obey God. So as the worship team will come and lead us in a time of worship today, the question remains for you to wrestle with God. How are you keeping control? What do you need to maybe even physically walk up to the mount and lay on the altar this morning? Give 100% control over to Jesus. 
because he is who he says he is and he does what he says he will do and he has promised to bless you with righteousness and hope and faith and holiness and mercy and grace and all of the good things that come with the kingdom of God to those who obey him. So this morning, be obedient to Jesus and come or stay, but talk with him and surrender to him. Lord, we give you honor and glory. We love you and we worship you. And we struggle sometimes in that worship. I'll be the first to admit that there are things that if you ask me to give up, I would have a really hard time because I've come to rely on them more than I've come to rely on you. My prayer this morning, Father, is that I would rely on you more than any earthly thing. Things pass away, but you never do. So Lord, I pray as we worship you now, would you increase our faith? Would you help us have the faith that scripture portrays in Abraham in that moment to walk up the mountain knowing that you will do something good even if we can't see how you will do it. Give us faith in these moments now. We pray this in your name. Amen. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org. 